Welcome into the Scurry in the Scrub podcast, everybody. It's been a minute. Um, today we got a really jam-packed, exciting episode for you. The Big East regular season is over, so we're going to dish out our all-conference, or I guess our all-conference awards, uh, individual awards, coach of the year awards. Uh, we have an all-impact team that we've come up with. Um, we're going to talk about the Big East tournament, preview that, talk about the NCAA tournament, uh, kind of lay out who's in, who's out how good everybody's sitting on March 5th as we record this. Um, we had a, an extra guest today, uh, Adam Baum, uh, Xavier beat writer, could not join us last minute. So um, he sends his apologies, but we do still have a pretty exciting show for you planned. Uh, ben Steele from the Monkey Journal Sentinel is here covering the Big East champs Marquette, the outright Big East champs Marquette. There is no shared title this year. They took nope. it all selfish bastards um <laughs> uh jordan scurry former blue jay hooper and then joel lorenzi from the omaha world herald covering creighton so the top three teams were were rep today adam had to had to back out last minute with some he's moving so he had some issues um but we appreciate adam agreeing to come on board at first just couldn't make it happen uh so yeah the top three teams in the league are basically going to uh, set the tone for you today and we're gonna rule uh rule the day from the top of the perch if you will um so yeah we have a lot of things to talk about guys uh a lot of awards to hand out um and it's it's been, it's been one of those years where i think because of how how much like UConn started off hot Creighton had the hype uh Providence Xavier got rolling and then Marquette kind of came on late December and turned into the juggernaut with basically that win over Baylor that kind of opened everyone's eyes to who they were and what their potential was. And then they just run away with the league, essentially. Um, it's been a weird year because I think everybody's kind of had, from an individual standpoint, everyone's kind of had an, an opportunity to to shine and, and get some love from uh, pundits, uh, writers, um, broadcasters alike um so i'm going to be curious to see how it shakes out after the season's over now that we get to hand out these awards how it shakes out because i think this year has had more debate over more awards and who's deserving of what than you know at least the last few years in my opinion so i'm curious to see what you guys are thinking because i know as i was going through this and trying to make sure as I was arguing with myself and debating with myself over who deserved what, I think it was a lot tougher than I thought it was going to be when I initially just said, here's who I think it is on paper. How do I justify it um, for everyone else? Um, so I think I'll start with Ben since, uh, you know, we'll just let the victor go first. <laughs> since Marquette won the title, we'll let you kick it off with our, you know, our most prestigious one, which is player of the year, which I think is going to be the one that, I at least hope we're all on consensus with based on how he finished the year, but then we'll let you tee off player of the year, give your pick and as to who that guy is this year and, and why. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's going to sound like a Homer pick, right? So I gotta, I gotta go with Tyler Kolick, the point guard. That's why for, I put you Marquette. in that spot. I wanted you to go Homer right off the, right off the bat. Uh, it's it seems a little weird, you know, picking a guy that averages 12 points per game, not even their team's leading scorer as the, the, the player of the year. But if you watch Marquette play, you can see, just how important he is to just the way they play, you know, their top five ranked offense and Ken Palm. 
uh, second in the nation in assists, like fourth in assist to turnover ratio. And then I think he just like cemented it, the the player of the year award in these last couple of weeks when Marquette wrapped up the title, you know, those two big shots in that road win at Creighton that, that, that was kind of like the de facto championship game in the big East. And then the next game when Marquette actually clinched the uh, share of the big East title, uh, Tyler Kolek had 15 to Marquette's last 16 points. He's had double doubles in the last three games of the, of the regular season with assists. Um, yeah, he's just uh, without him. I don't know where Marquette would be. So they're the best team. He's the best player. I think it's a pretty easy choice. For sure, Joel. Where are you, where are you at on this? Yeah, no, I'm I'm the same way. I think uh, I think it was a a closer race, like leading into that Marquette Creighton matchup. Like I think we'd been been throwing around certain names. And even the week before then, I mean, the, the league has changed so much week by week. I think when Fremantle went down, it kind of changed. Xavier's outlook, they still finished second. But I think when they were firmly at first, uh, it was hard to argue against Sule Boom. And um, earlier in the year when when Providence was doing his thing, like it was hard to argue against Bryce Hopkins. But I think as, you know, Marquette really locked it up. And um, I think the, the win over Creighton was really what, what sealed it, um, obviously, even though there were games left. Um, I think just – seeing how good that team was um, and not to say like talent wise or anything, they're head and shoulders above the league. But they were in the driver's seat pretty, pretty comfortably. And so I think um, like Ben mentioned, um, that's, that's Colex doing a lot of that. I mean, I, I'm going to put a couple guys uh, from Marquette on the AP ballot, but I mean, Colex, he's been a man. I mean, the numbers might not jump out at you, but uh, that empty side pick and roll, I mean, they they warp defenses with that man, and he's the, yeah. he's the mastermind. He does it all. Uh, yeah, everything he, the poise, the you know, just being a sound point guard. I mean, he's him, and to be the best player on the best team in the league, it's hard to argue with that case. Sure, Skur man, what you got? Yeah, I think we hit the nail on the head. It's best player on the best team. I think Ben said it best. And then also, I just think that he was that stabilizing force. I think going into the back end half of the year where, you know, guys like Sule Boom and Bryce Hopkins were obviously in that conversation. But I just think Tyler Kolick had that, you know, calming factor, that him factor where his teammates even looked at him in that way. They were just like, yeah, if we got this guy, we'll be able to get this done. And he just stayed more consistent, I think, than the two other guys that were in the, I guess, running for me as well. Him factor is a new scurry in the scrub analytic. That's a new metric we just made up. Just the him right? factor. I like him that. Factor. <laughs> new yeah, just to just to just to bounce <laughs> off of uh, what you touched on there, scurry with the down the stretch play. Because I, I yeah, obviously Tyler Kolick is my pick as well for Player of the Year. I felt like the game in Omaha was his, not to borrow from football, but his kind of Heisman moment when you saw the way he. You know, Creighton was making a push there, and it felt like they had momentum, and Tyler Kolick didn't even blink. He just came right down yeah. uh, and just just was in attack mode. And not only in attack mode, but he attacked a guy that I have for another individual award here and scored him both times. Like, it was a statement-making uh, stanza there from Tyler Kolick, and I think that, was, that solidified it. But just to put into context what he's done down the stretch since January – his uh, true shooting percentage is 63%. He's averaging 16.3 points, 8.3 assists, only 2.3 turnovers. Uh, he has nine Ken Palm MVPs out of their 16 games in that stretch. And Marquette's record is 14-2. and two, And the only losses are at Xavier and at UConn in that span. So, uh, to me, he ran away with it. I know that 
Um, maybe his numbers don't jump out from a whole season standpoint, especially in terms of scoring. But when you watch Marquette and when you especially watch crunch time and see how much impact he has on that team's ability to put games away, it's usually a stretch or two where Tyler Kolick is going just ham. And I don't think it's – I think it's one of the more lopsided player of the year uh, conversations for me since – jeez, man. Marcus Howard, like in 2019, or Doug, or like it. It doesn't feel like there's a there's a close second, in my opinion, because of how good Marquette is and how much impact Bullock has on that as well. So we're in unanimous agreement there. Uh, next one, defensive player of the year. Uh, Joel, we'll start with you on this one, just to mix it up a little bit. Who's your pick for Big East defensive player of the year this year, and why? Yeah, and this might sound homers, but people know if you read my coverage, uh, I'm as critical as, as anybody out there probably. But I will say I, I was looking on Twitter earlier and I'm seeing picks, of, and we talked about this, but Devin Carter getting picked for defensive player of the year um, by now is ridiculous to me. I think um, it's, my my pick is called Brenner. Um, and I, I respect think, how you came out from the hater side right away. Like you immediately just said, here's who's not DPO. <laughs> I like that. Let's put that one to bed. I'm, I'm with you on <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, me personally, um, I always like to view the game. I'm, I mean, I'm barely probably six foot on my best day, but I like to view the, the game through the lens of the big man. Um, I've always appreciated the big man. And I think um, what Kalkbrenner offers as a college big man is so head and shoulders above the rest in terms of uh, being the best drop big around. Like that's really, I think it's un- uh, underappreciated. I don't know if it's because, um, drop is really more deployed in the NBA regular season. Uh, but being able to drop the at the level he does as effectively as he does and also fouling as as little as he does, I mean, it's it's incredible the stuff he's been able to do. He He's a walking defense, um, and it's been that way since last year, and I think he just upped his game this year, um, fouling even less, um, you know, and defending at such a high level that it's like, People take it for granted, I think, because maybe his those numbers don't pop out at you. Nobody's getting 10 blocks in college, right? I mean, maybe Walker Kessler was doing it last year, but um, this is not the case. He, he he banks on, you know, being just around you, spooking people at the rim, um, maybe not even touching your shot, but altering your shot. Um, at the level he does it, it's hard to even imagine anybody coming close uh, in terms of general impact. Skur, I know you've uh, – I assume where you're going with this, but I know you've been high on Cockburn ever since he stepped foot on campus for his visit back when you were still – you know, had some eligibility left. So I, I assume you're going with Cockburner too, but just uh, why do you think he is deserving of back-to-back DPO-wise? Why do you think he, he defended the title this year essentially? Yeah, I think honestly just the best – when I was looking back at it, I was even trying to just look at numbers or something to tell a tale that – I might not have been able to do, but I think it's just easy enough to just say, like, look at what happened when he was out. Like, I think that's the one thing you can point to just to actually measure his impact because you can go through stats. I could rattle you off, like, you know, blocks and what he if shots altered. I could I could go through all that, but I think it's just like you saw how the team even just defensively was lost without him, and I think he just is that same way I was even kind of alluding to Tyler Kolick as that calming presence on offense, like where you're like, oh, okay, if the ball is in his hands in this situation at this point in the game, we'll be all right. 
same way I feel like all these guys on Creighton have to feel when, you know, the big man's out there. When Kalkbrenner's out there, it's like, okay, well, you know you can give a little more at this, give a little more going to the basket. You can close out a little bit harder. I think just his impact on the defensive floor, you saw it when he was out, and then obviously when he came back and got things rolling again, I think it's just – it's a no-brainer for me there. Yeah. Ben, where are you going with defensive player of the year this year? How do you feel? Yeah, this is going to be a boring podcast, man, when we all all agree on the same thing. <laughs> But, you know, watching just Kalkbrenner, the same thing you guys are saying, just that cat mouse and, you know, on, on pick and rolls when you're entertaining to watch when you're doing that sort of thing. Like, that's that's pretty remarkable on the defensive end. And just, you know, watching Kalkbrenner versus Tyler Kolick on those pick and rolls, man, that's that's uh, that's probably the most entertaining part of the, the season, watching those two guys kind of go at each other mentally, try to get each other off their game. So... I'm going. I'm. I'm in agreement with you guys. Just, I think he's going to be unanimous pick. And, and to, to further my point on 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 Devin Carter, like he's had, like he's had really good games as a defensive playmaker. Like I enjoy watching him play defense, and yeah. it's not like Kalkbrenner hasn't had instances where you know people cooked him. Maybe right. it's depending on like it's situational, um, but Devin Carter's got cooked as well. I just think you know. It's way different, you know, having a guy defend the best perimeter player versus, you know, a guy that a defense literally relies on. I mean, um, like 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 Scurry mentioned, like these dudes are literally at ease because he's back there. Um, and I think and it's crazy to even use this for my point, but I think of Eric Dixon dropping 31, that only happens because they depend on him so much. Like he's mm-hmm. their defense. And um for him to be playing that limbo in that in-between area is because um, he's worried about paint touches elsewhere because he. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm also going Kalkbrenner as well. No surprise there, but I just have uh, a little bit more. I'm going to dive a little bit more into the impact here that maybe um, not everyone is kind of aware of because it's not one of those you know traditional statistics. But you know, according to Synergy Shot Chart, they can you know break it down by range and spots on the floor. So I just broke it down basically inside five feet in Big East play for everybody because that's basically uh, a rim attempt, a lane protection kind of situation. And uh, seven of the 10 teams in the Big East shot far below their season average in league play inside that range against Creighton. The only one, funny enough, the only, you know, one of the only ones who really was comfortably above it was Marquette. And that's, they only played Kalkbrenner once. And most of that was Tyler Cole. Like he was five for seven in in inside five feet so honestly that marquette's, only, also, that, that, marquette's also the number one team in two point percentage in the in exactly. the nation that only solidifies polix player of the year candidacy even further in my opinion but it also when you look at just the disparity like just for instance uconn's 58 percent inside five feet they were 44 percent against creighton this season and they have sonogo cling all those guys who are good off the bounce like his his impact at the rim doesn't always show up in block shots. It shows up in effectiveness um, for other teams to score inside as well. And then when you look at this is where I'm going to kind of compare Kalkbrenner and Devin Carter, because it, it did seem like that was like one in one a for a long time. And I just think it has to have, I think the defensive player of the year has to be, first of all, primarily a person who can, you know, 
guard their own man one right so that's a big part of it there's no question about that but you also have to have a major impact on your team's overall defensive performance in my opinion too and then you look at providence and devin carter's candidacy i think he is a really talented defender i think he has great instincts and i think he's going to be one of the top defenders in this league for as long as he's in this league as well um he'll always be in this conversation in my opinion so it's not to knock on him however since February, Providence has the worst defense in the Big East. Worse than Georgetown by comfortably 50 spots. Um, they have they got lit up by Xavier the other night. They got lit up by a Seton Hall team that didn't have Kadari Richmond, that didn't have uh, Trey Jackson. Uh, it, it, it's just not... like I think you have to impact your team's defensive metrics as much as you can lock up your own guy because you have to be... I think the thing with Kalkner that sets him apart is he can guard one-on-one, but he also impacts the comfortability of the other four offensive players on the floor as well in terms of where they can get and what spots they can actually get to to score effectively on the floor. And Creighton's defense, since Kaufmaner come got back to the lineup in, on December 22nd in that home game against Butler, they're number one in the conference in effective field goal percentage defense. They're number one in the conference in adjusted defensive efficiency. They're number one in the conference in free throw rate, which is something that Joel mentioned earlier in terms of putting guys at the free throw line and not. And then they're number one in the conference in two point percentage defense as well. So to me, it's 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 just there's too much in the Kalkbrenner column to to split the vote or give it to somebody else, in my opinion. So I don't think it's as lopsided as Kolick for Player of the Year, um, but I do think it's still quite lopsided in Kalkbrenner's favor. Yeah, and and bottom line, big picture is Creighton has never been a program that's depended more on defense than their offense. And he's changed their entire outlook uh, of the program. It's only because of him that they're able to mm-hmm. do it this year. That's a really good point, the identity shift for sure. Uh, Coach of the year I want to go to next. I feel like that's another one. I, I kind of wanted to get the easy ones out of the way first if you're noticing the trend here. So um, Coach of the year is one I wanted to go to next. Uh, Skir, we'll let you go first on that one. Um, who's your pick for Big East Coach of the Year and why? Yeah, I mean – I'm going to go with Shaka Smart, and I think the reason I obviously have to go with him is uh, if you listen back to our uh, preseason podcast, uh, I got to get I, I I was not giving my man his respect there, and he seemed to he seemed to come at John Fanon for that early too. So I got to I got to uh, I guess give him credit where credit is due because it, like seriously, if you were to ask me at the beginning of the year if I would have saw Marquette in this position. Absolutely not. And I think they've just done a great job of fine. Like, I think he's done a really good job of establishing the identity, but I think he was actually more so playing to the strengths of his guys. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think he went into Marquette with any agenda of like, oh, I'm going to establish this, this and that. I think he actually took what the guy like kind of met the team where they were at and like really mm-hmm. played to their strengths, played to their personalities. And I, I, I just see it meshing. Uh, and so I got to give the credit where it's due because I definitely wouldn't. I, I don't even think I had them like in my top three predictions of finishing uh, where they were going to finish this year. So I have to give it to them because they way, way exceeded my expectations. So yeah, that's shocking an, spark, man. That's an incredible point you make. And I always, that's why I love your perspective of like, cause you know, the inner workings of how teams are kind of built and yeah, like that, it does feel like that's one of the things that Shaka has done a really good job of in this first two years with Marquette is kind of, you know, not getting caught in the square peg round hole mentality of his style and, and finding way to accentuate guys uh his players strengths um joel where are you on coach of the year this year it's gonna be a sweep um <laughs> i'll say this like to to, to scourge point bro we were talking about this before the year like i, I didn't 
I didn't even think Marquette was gonna be top three, maybe not even top five. When we talk yeah. about mm. won the title outright, like I was admittedly like probably shitting on them uh ahead of the season because I looked at how many freshmen they got in, uh the guys they brought back, and I'm like, okay, they're really dependent on these guys maybe taking a leap to even thrust themselves into that upper right. echelon. I mean, before the season, we were looking at Creighton and and Yukon and and Xavier, and we still had held Nova up to Nova standards. So we were like, who's going to break into this top tier? Is it even possible? And it didn't – for me, it didn't look possible with Marquette's roster, but um, I think he really maximized all those dudes' talents. Um, and, I mean, they all took that leap. Like, I thought – I thought across the board, uh, Igadaro turned into an NBA player. Um, you look at uh, the – you know, Kolik became – I mean, I think he was a pretty sound point guard before and was – Pretty, pretty up there on the national landscape, but he easily became, you know, I'm, I'm considering, you know, making him a, a all American. Like he's, yeah. Yeah. he's maximized these dudes to the point where they, they did the unthinkable, man. Like, it, it's incredible what he's done over there, and and honestly, I think he's thrust himself into national coach of the year because of what they've done over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. You know, Ben, I don't think you're gonna drop a stunner here, but what, what, what <laughs> I guess. To you, let's just assume, you know, that that you're going along with uh, Jordan and, and Joel here. What's been the most uh, standout part of this run this season for Shaka and why why you feel like he's more than deserving of Coach of the Year in the Big East this season? It's the style of play. It's just – it's so different from even what they played last season, you know. Like last year, you know, they had Justin Lewis and Daryl Marcel, and that's why people picked them – ninth in the big east just because they lost those two guys who were so just critical pieces last season and the way they play this season is just so different last year you know daryl Morcell's like a mid-range guy you saw that against creighton you know against that drop coverage uh living in the mid-range and justin was kind of a played at his own rhythm like they they give him the ball with his back to the basket he backed down a little bit um but this year's team is just like ball movement and player movement and like NBA spacing and and that that side pick and roll that uh, mentioned earlier with Oso and, and Tyler. And, you know, he's built this all on on player development. He didn't bring like any super high impact transfers. He brought in one transfer that was from the NAIA and he only played in three games this season before he got hurt. So these are all guys that just made just tremendous leaps. Uh, here's another spoiler alert. I'm going to uh, make the case for Oso Iguodaro for most improved player, just because Shaka kind of telegraphed this all summer. He would say like, Oso is going to handle the ball more than any six ten guy in the country. He said that all summer, and it's proven to be true. Like he's out there running five one pick and rolls, and he's like, I actually remember when you wrote that, passes. and I go, oh yeah, interesting, yeah, that's cool. yeah, yeah, it's amazing. So just player development, getting the guys to buy in, and the culture. Like you hear all these guys talk, but uh, Marquette and they all sound just like Shaka. They drop all his little Shaka-isms of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, approach goals versus avoidance goals and all that new age stuff that Shaka likes to talk about. And it, all the, it filters down to all those players. So it's culture, it's player development, it's getting guys to buy into their roles. So uh, it's easy choice for me. Yeah, for me, the thing that I think I appreciate and why I think he should be the coach of the year in the Big East this year is – they didn't have momentum. You know, normally I think you can see a team that's building towards something like this based on the trends that are being 
you know, maybe some underlying trends that are coming through in February and March of the year prior. But they actually struggled down the stretch last year. They got boat raced mm-hmm. by a Carolina team that got hot, obviously, but they got boat raced in this big tournament. Uh, they went one and done in the Big East tournament. They didn't finish the year as strongly as they started it in conference play last year. And then you lose, like you said, Daryl Morcel, who is their top perimeter defender, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, 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 you know, a guy you can count on for big plays on both ends of the floor in crunch time. And then Justin Lewis, who was far and away their best player, most effective player last year and their go-to guy. So you take those trends and you pair it with the fact that they lost arguably their two most impactful players from a year ago. And you go, okay, well, there seems to be a lot more questions than answers with this squad. I don't really know how much to look forward to optimistically, but I certainly have a lot more pessimism. Right. And then they just, I mean, I remember watching that Mississippi state game. Yeah. And I was like, this is the ugliest game. This might go, <laughs> this might, this might stand out as the ugliest game I watch all year. You know what yeah. I mean? Uh, and then to, to just absolutely dog walk Baylor, like a week or two later and then rip through the big East. It came out of nowhere in my mind. Um, but you, but that's obviously not the case because that stuff is built up. You know, you, you, mm-hmm. you ha- it takes a lot of hard work to go from what we watched against Mississippi state to what we saw against Baylor to what we saw in league play. Um, that's not accidental, you know? Uh, so I think it's one of the better in coaching jobs we've seen in a long time too, in terms of building up from mm-hmm. where nobody really thinks much of you and then having some early season struggles where it kind of reinforces what everybody kind of thinks of you in the, in the off season. And then for you to have just some breakout guys all over the place where you're like, you can see the way they're playing and how confident they look and how much swagger they have and how much belief they have that they can come into any building and whip you. Uh, it's, it's really a really impressive job. And I, I don't think it's going to be, um, you know, a, a hotly to- a debated topic. If uh, unless someone besides shock gets the award, um, let's go to freshman of the year next. And I'm kind of glad uh, it, it, it gives me the opportunity to go first this time. Cause I know Joel is going to spit at the camera when I say this, Um <laughs> But I'm actually going with Cam Whitmore for from Villanova for freshman of the year. I'm actually going to – I feel like he's really come on uh, as the years progress. And, I, and I, I think a lot of that has to do with his comfortability coming off the injury because really he only had three or four games off the injury before league play started. So I think maybe some of his, his struggles that were kind of obvious on tape um, can be attributed to just a little bit, maybe a, a little bit of rust, you know, a little bit of just he's a freshman, it's league play, he hasn't had a lot of reps going leading into it. Um, so the slow start, I can kind of forgive that based on how he's played toward, down the stretch here. And I think he actually has turned into a pretty solid complimentary piece, um, with Justin Moore back in the fold here now the last 10 games. And I think he's a big reason why a lot of people are kind of afraid of Villanova right now because they seem to look like the team that everyone thought they would in the preseason when, you know, Whitmore, Armstrong, Dixon, and, and essentially more coming back in January were, were possibilities. But, you know, I think he's he's 12 points a game in league play. He's shooting 37% from three on about four attempts, so he's efficient. Uh, he's over 50% from two, you know, from two, maybe he can be a little bit more efficient inside the arc considering his size and athleticism, but he's not a high turnover player. He impacts the floor defensively. Uh, he has some good instincts there. 
I think uh I think he has a bigger impact on his team's success or failure than say an Alex Caravan who is, you know, probably another one that's in that in that grouping for freshman of the year. Um I, I, I just feel like the more I've dissected it and the more I've gone about it, I feel like I'm more convinced that Cam Whitmore's actually had a more solid freshman season than I was willing to give him credit for maybe three or four weeks ago. Um where we go next. Ben. What do you think? Who's your pick for freshman of the year? Yeah, I, li- I like Alex Caravan, just the way that uh, Danny Hurley uses him. Just like, what's he like, 6'8", just inside-outside guy, averages like 14 points a game, 40% three-point shooter. I just like I just like the way they use him. He's kind of their, their most versatile piece on, on you, you know, some of their guys have, have you know, disparate strengths, you know, really good at attacking the basket like Andre Jackson, but can't shoot outside or, you know, Jordan Hawkins is really good at outside shots and, and, and that, but Alex Caravan is kind of that guy that, that does a little bit of everything. I just, I just really like his game. Joel, where do you feel? Where are you sitting on freshman of the year? Are you going to stick with your boy? Come on, man. This is the thing. This is the thing about Cam. And you didn't like him at first right. because I was the one, you know, Pushing his agenda. That's why. That's you, not the reason I didn't like him. You want to be a concern, that's what it is. You want to okay. you, you want to be the Skip Bayless to my Stephen A. Every time we get together. So don't ever, <laughs> ever, ever, ever again. You're Skip. You're Skip. I'm not Skip. It. I'm not a hater. Call him out. I'm Call him out, Joe. Get him. You're Skip. Give me. Look, tell me why your boy's freshman of the year. Go. Oh and one more. I, I look at and it's similar to the to the Cogbrenner and, and Devin Carter argument. Overall dependability. How much your team relies on you. And your production, and while um, it's it's hard to make that link because Cam doesn't have the same impact as Cogbrenner. I mean, few players do. Um, I look at their start to the season. I mean, they're they're gonna be uh, what a seven seed, but they're they're better than their record. I mean, obviously they they struggle early on. He he came off injury. Um, Justin Moore didn't get back to whatever, and usually that wouldn't be helpful in his argument. But Justin Moore's looked really good. Uh, since he's returned. So this is clearly – this Villanova team is, is shades better than this record will say. And I think early on what didn't help him was um, he was their first option or their second option. And I don't think that was ever supposed to be his role on his team. I think um, at at best he was supposed to be, you know, maybe second option. Some nights he stands out and then third option generally. Um, I think there was a lot of pressure on him as a young dude who, um, you know, was high up on draft boards but was not – that high level top five prospect coming out of high school, those are the dudes that are really going to try to uh, see the impact. I mean, you look at college, the landscape, uh, the guys that are really impacting are the dudes with 401ks, 25 years old, old as hell uh, in his landscape. And he's 18, um, and he was barely, I think, top 15, top 20 in his class. I mean, you look at the top 100 from last year, I think only 17 of those dudes are averaging double figures. Um, yeah. So it's hard to impact as a as a young dude, especially coming off injury, especially uh, with Villanova's new landscape, um, especially the role he was thrust into. Um, I don't think it was right for him at, at first, and I, it took some adjustment. But you mentioned the numbers, um, and I think you just you look at the fluidity um, at his size. You know his frame. I mean, that's a grown ass man, um, and the things he offers inside that 13 points per game, I think he's just way more important for Villanova than Caravan is for, for UConn. And not to say Caravan's not important. He's still a starter-level player for them. Um, but Whitmore has meant more and is higher up on the totem pole. And um, it might have taken a while, but I think he's shown why 
the upside is there. And and granted, I think the next level will benefit him more than than this has in the spacing and the the system he's played in and whatnot. So, yeah, for when it came down to Caravan and, and Whitmore, for me, it was just based on like if I trans if I switch both of them up, like what am I getting? And I feel like it's I feel like I just. It wasn't like a runaway, but I felt like Whitmore is the guy that you can put um, in any spot and you're going to get what you got out of him this year. And I think that's what, to me, if it, if it translates like that, I think he's got the edge, in my opinion. Jordan, uh, where are you at with uh, freshman of the year? How'd you, how'd you land on it? So I'm going to give you guys some pushback on this because I do think Cam Whitmore has, like, if we're talking player, has more potential. Obviously, he's going to play at a higher level, what like, no matter what, right? But why, for all those reasons and, like, the fact that he struggled being, like, Joel highlighted very well, like, him being thrown into the role early on and then going through injury, like, and, like, fighting through those growing pains, I do think that, like, obviously helped him in what we saw, like, he became at the end of the season. However, I think when it comes to this award, I'm going with uh, Alex Carabin because I think to even just what Ben was saying, like, he never had to do anything outside of himself. Like, yes, the role, I guess, for him at UConn, was asked like obviously less of him but i think with what they needed him to be he was exactly that and i think it was the three-point percentage was there obviously all year long shooting over uh, above 40 but then also playing over 20 on he only played in uh it was two games he's played less than 20 minutes so just being that force for them i think a constant in just a lot of my picks for any of these awards is just you know reliability and i think you know, there was, I guess, obviously times for UConn, I think they wish Alex Carabin could do more. But I think when he was asked to do what he could do, he always delivered in that. Uh, and I think it was consistent throughout. So I just think in terms of just the consistency uh, all year round, I got to go with Alex. Gotcha. Uh, let's uh, move over to newcomer of the year. I feel like this is one we should talk about because. Oh, I can't hear you, Matt. Uh-oh, Matt's gone. I thought it was my headphones. No, I, I lost him, too. Oh, I guess he got spooked. He got scared. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Had some technical issues with the microphone. We're back now. Uh, newcomer of the year, I feel like, is important to do because, I mean, in the year where we, you know, in the, in the era where we have guys coming in from different schools and everything like that, it's, it's, it's not just freshman of the year. I think in the past you could do newcomer and freshman was a little bit redundant because it felt like the same player every time. But, you know, this this year in the league, especially, there's newcomers all over the place that have had huge impacts on teams. So, um, Ben, uh, you can tee it off first this time as you're turning rotation. Who who gets newcomer of the year for you? And, and just to preface, if you have a split vote, I did split my vote on this one. So if you have Coe's, uh, don't feel don't feel ashamed. Yeah, I mean, I was wavering between Bryce Hopkins and, and Sule Boom. Um, mm. But a little bit of my uh, my bias, I guess you could call it, just from watching Bryce Hopkins first time in person uh, when Marquette played at Providence and Bryce Hopkins at 29 and 23, that kind of left a, a big imprint in my head and just his physicality and the way he could get to the, the draw fouls and, and get to the free throw line. I can't remember how many times off the top of my head. He, I think he shot over 20 free throws in that game. I think he's number three in, in or top five in, in free throw or eight in the conference. And he's just a, just a matchup nightmare. So I I'm, go, I'm going with Bryce Hopkins. Gotcha. Joel, where are you at? Yeah. You know, I like Bryce to start the year, you know, he's a Chicago guy. So I rock with Bryce a lot. Oh um, yeah. I really enjoyed the jump he made. 
uh, especially from not being talked about at all. I mean, this was a top 100 dude uh, that was at Kentucky um, and, you know, averages 16 now for a good team. But he's not my pick. I know I led y'all on there, but he's not my pick. Sule Boom is my pick. Um, I think uh, I, I look at Sule Boom, and this is a guy – I was talking about this with Jimmy back on the pod ahead of the year, and we were looking at names, and J- Jimmy was trying to be that guy that – it's like, oh, well, you know, mid-major, those guys, it, it, do they ever really translate? Did the production translate? I'm like, I don't know. This dude is averaging 19. I mean, how much worse can he be at this level? And, I mean, Sule is pretty much average close to that. I don't know what his exact numbers are, but um, Sule has absolutely torched teams this year. And I think you look at the top of the league and general impact. Like, I like Bryce and how much and how impactful he's been for that team. But in terms of like, I'm not gonna call Providence fraudulent, but they're definitely I don't think as good a team as as Xavier is at full strength. Even with Xavier having that kind of lack of depth uh, per se, I, I think Sule has been as impactful a player on that team and um, across the league, probably a top three impact dude. Just everything he does and being thrust, you know, he wasn't. Um, I don't think he was really expected to you know be as much of a point guard as he was this year, and he's thrust into that role and. Um, done that, you know, probably better than most expected. So I, I really like Soleil Boone for for this one. Yeah, I think uh, this this one was a lot more interesting than I thought it was going to be. Um, you know, you look at Baylor Shireman had a great year for Creighton. Uh, Tristan Newton had a really solid year for UConn. And honestly, he's probably maybe one of the top two or three reasons they're on a roll right now is the way he's been playing down the stretch. Um, so those guys definitely deserve some love. Casey and Defo from from Seton Hall, like they were the number one defense in the league for about the first two months of the season. And I think it was mainly based on his versatility and ability to protect the rim the way he does and guard, you know, down several positions, um, maybe all the way to the two. Uh, so there were some, there were some dudes that I had to like really dig in and be like, all right, why, why is, why are they not the ones essentially? And, and it, it was so hard that I ended up splitting my vote. I kind of gave it away there, but. I did split it between Bryce and Sule and ended up doing co-MIPs. Um, or not MIPs, uh, Newcomer of the Year, sorry. Um, yeah, I just think Bryce was really good. Bryce and Sule were both really good early. And I think I think Sule has been better of late and down the stretch. But the thing that made it tough for me to separate the two was I feel like Bryce Hopkins, if you take him off Providence – Man, that's that's a brutal squad if you take yeah. him off problems. Right. And yeah. and maybe to a lesser degree with Xavier, I think because of their depth, if you take Sule Boom out of the mix, they're not as good as they are. But I think when you mix in Sule's ability to take over games and Bryce's impact on making Providence a top four team in the league right now and a contender for the Big East title basically throughout from from Rip essentially, um that's that's why I couldn't split the two i had to keep them on the same line they both had i think in my opinion equal impact on how this league has shaken out and the trajectory of the two teams that they play for so that's why i went with co newcomer of the year awards for bryson sule uh let's go over to sixth man of the year next uh joel you can start with that one um who gets your vote for now I, this was probably one of the tougher ones but who 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 gets who stood out to you as the as the number one reserve in, in the Big East this season? You know, this is a pretty nasty award. I'm not going to lie. Like, it, it, it's a nasty <laughs> award. Um, yeah. 
Most of the most of the impact players are starters. Yeah, like there's no. There's <laughs> I, look at the, I look at the candidates, and I mean, I guess I don't know if I'm satisfied with this, but I guess I'll go Jerome Hunter. Um, I just think, um, in you know, Freeman's absence and just across the board, like this is a guy who doesn't shoot threes. He's like he's an undersized, you know, big forward. Doesn't shoot threes at all. He he made one of his very few against Creighton, um, and that was probably a difference in that game. I think they they won by three. But um, and the way and granted, I'm an NBA guy, so I I like the dribble pitch guys. I think the the dribble pitch guys then uh, really make their impact felt without being able to shoot and really warp uh, defenses and whatnot. Like that's cool to me. And I think um, just doing the intangible stuff, doing the stuff you would ask a player to do. Um, and just filling those roles, like especially with free metal out, um, that Xavier needed to stay afloat. I mean, I know they lost their first place spot, but um, he's he's helped them tremendously. I mean, that's still a team I think could could make a run. And that was, I think, part of my Sule pick was because you were right. They they wouldn't plummet without Sule, but um, he is the difference in them making a deep run. And I think Jerome Hunter, um, not the same impact, but uh, a very important piece to that team, uh, which is capable of making a run, I think. Jordan, uh, where are you at on sixth man of the year? Well, first you skipped me on the last one with the newcomers. So I'm. I, by the way, well, I'm going could, with. Did you say Sule for newcomer? Yeah, I said Sule, but that was that was before, so it's okay. But I I didn't get my reasoning, but I'll give it to you real quick. I say Sule Boom, just because just because I think with uh, Bryce Hopkins, he played. He's and I wouldn't be mad if Bryce wins. Like I I think it could go either way 100 percent uh but the reason i personally just like sule over it is i think so highlighted just he i think he has more impact on the team in terms of he developed as a point guard i definitely think like bryce obviously is a lot of what providence does but i think he's like the most physical on the most physical team like he's a physical specimen on the most physical team in the conference arguably but I think just the impact of a Sule Boom when Sule Boom gets hot, I think it means more for Xavier, even though I guess like Bryce is essentially Providence's team. But I just think when Sule Boom gets hot, it's hard to beat them. So that's my answer there. And then I think with this one, um, six man of the year, I guess my – it is some nasty stats for these. So I guess my <laughs> the only thing I've been able to pick at with this one – was I think it's Jerome Hunter because if you just look at his minutes uh, and what he was able to do, he increased his minutes all year long, and I think it also increased his impact. And I think when Fremantle went out, he saw opportunity, he ran with it. But he also just – he's that energy guy. He's able to – like because clearly you can't look at any stats to say what he changed games with. But I think when you watch them play, he makes – you know he's a freak athlete, so he makes some big dunks that can change games. He can defend well. He's made some stops that change games. And so I think – just in terms of overall impact, I think he has the most in his ability to impact that game, not only by scoring. Um, yeah, the I I don't hate the Jerome Hunter picks. I uh, I just think he started half the year, so I disqualified him. You know, because I think he only came off the bench in eleven of the twenty games in Big East play. So I, I just felt like the two the sample size was too swayed by his, you know, his uh, his volume increasing in the Freeman, in the wake of the Freeman injury. My pick actually ended up being, and I, I do agree, it was it was probably an easier pick based on the numbers and production off the bench, but mine was actually David Joplin from Marquette. Yeah. Uh, eight, six points, 3.3 boards, 
Um, he was right around one steal per game and, and less than 20 minutes per game. I mean, if you if you did those per 40s, that's like that's an all conference player essentially. Like, I think uh, I think he's had a sneaky good impact on that team. Um, even though you know Kolek and Oso and Cam are kind of the headliners and. And and Omax has had some breakout like jaw dropping games. I think uh, you know I, I'm not. I could kind of see a path for them being a four or five seed in this league if David Joplin isn't as impactful off the bench and if they don't have a, an ability to bring a guy like that, you know, in the reserve role and allow them to kind of sustain themselves a little bit when the, when the main guys have to take a break. So David Joplin ended up being my pick for player for a uh, sixth man of the year. I do agree with the rest of you guys, though, that it wasn't it wasn't the uh, yeah. the sexiest pool to choose from, though. Um, ben, where, where, quick, where did you link? Quick question there, though. Quick question there before you get on to that is was yeah. was Joplin's twenty eight against DePaul? Was that yeah. the most yeah. off the bench of anyone this year? It's gotta be. Uh, I believe so. I'd be shocked it's if it wasn't. It's gotta be. Yeah. yeah. All right. Cool. Just wanted to highlight that. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you brought him up, Matt, because I didn't want to have have to look like another Homer pick. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Joplin, like you look at Marquette, it's like a very average three point shooting team, Mm -hmm. but David Joplin is clearly their best, most flammable three point shooter. And when he's hot, like, forget about it, man, forget about guard Marquette at all. Cause there's like way more space. There's more space for all those pick and rolls and 45 cuts and all that stuff that they do that, that makes them a top five offense. Um, so when, when they're hitting threes, man, it's crazy. And he, you know, Shaka has been on job for, for two years about his defense. That's that's the reason why he's never been a starter. Um mm. for but uh um but he's really improved. Like he's he's still not a you know, he he's he's improved to where he's like a, a, a passable defender, like an average defender, which is a long way from where he's been, but he's still like when he gets hot, man, for, forget about forget about stopping Marquette's offense at all. Yeah, this next one's going to be interesting, too, because um, in my opinion, it feels pretty easy, but I'm not sure everyone's going to agree there. Uh, Skur, man, since I disrespected you with the sixth man thing, I apologize, uh, or the newcomer of the year thing. I thought I thought you had gassed up too late. Um, yeah, I'll let you tee I off. I'll let, I'll let you tee off uh, most improved player in the Big East. Who's your guy? Ooh. So I think for me, when it, this is a hard one for me. Can you come back to me? Sure. I thought it, uh, again. This is kind of funny because I didn't. I did. I thought it might be tough, but I also thought, in my opinion, it was easy. Uh, Joel, you want to? Who's who's the guy that that stood out to you? I know you didn't maybe follow the league as religiously as you did this year, but just in terms of trying to understand, you know, who's jumping out, who's making a leap, who 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 did you end up picking as your most improved player in the Big East this year? You know. Um... A lot of the voting I do here is based on impact and impact on winning. Um, so you would think Igadaro would be my pick. I'm still probably on the fence about that. I really want to pick him. I like Igadaro a lot. I was probably one of the first who thought he was an NBA player. Um, but I think statistically, and this dude is probably as much a stat pattern as anybody in the league. But like Joel Soriano, like the jump he made from last year, like it's hard to argue with that. Even if he do be stat padding sometimes or it seemed that way, like it. Like, bro, and I know they're not a good team, but, like, to go from averaging, like, what, like, five and five to to the numbers he has now, I think he's averaging 16 and whatever, like, that, 
that's a crazy ass jump, bro. And it's hard to argue with with the numbers, even if that team is not crazy. But I am on the fence because I do like Iguodaro and his impact on Marquette. Yeah. Well, now that I heard your answer, I'm pretty sure none of us are going to agree on this one. So, Ben, do you want to go next? Who's your Who's your most improved player in the Big East? Yeah, I already I already telegraphed it earlier when I when I mentioned Oso. Just man, the way he can handle the ball as a six ten guy, some of the passes he makes are just outrageous. And then you see the confidence grow throughout the season. Just set to have the cojones to throw some of those passes, those backdoor passes. It's it it it's it's pretty awesome to see that confidence grow. And he knows his role on offense as a you know as a scorer. He only attempts you know. Shots around the basket. That's why he leads the the league in field goal percentage. He's not. If he ever got a a, a passable outside shot, now his AAU coach swears to me he could shoot threes. I have yet to see it with my own eyes, so I I don't know that for sure. But you know he'd be an instant. I mean he wouldn't be a Marquette if he could shoot threes, but he would uh, instantly be in the NBA. Um, but just how much he's grown as just like he came in as like a traditional like just straight up power forward. And now he's just like this, this hub of this offense where, you know, they're making, he he's making plays. He's a playmaker. It's it's it from where he's been as a freshman to where he is now. It's like, it's, it's not even the same player. So it's, um, it's, it's, it's also a for me. If I had, even if I charged only a penny for every time a trainer or an AAU coach or a high school yeah, coach said, right. yeah, said, you know, this dude who never shoots threes can shoot threes, I'd, I'd buy yeah. out Warren Buffett's empire tomorrow right now. Um, th- this is really interesting to me because I didn't, I did, when, I, when it when it hit me, I go, oh my God, this is obvious. Because like I was debating between Ed Croswell, Joel Soriano, and digging into them, Oso. I even, I even, because, in the women's game, they gave Lauren Jensen MIP last year, co-MIP when she was a newcomer to the league. So I even like entertained Bryce Hopkins because mm. his jump from year to year, even though it was a different league, was was substantial. Um, but then I like it hit me like right now one of the hottest teams in the league and probably the scariest matchup in terms of just you know depth and talent and skill wise. That's like not named Marquette right now is UConn. And I feel like Jordan Hawkins has sneaky become their best player. And when you look at what he did last year versus what he's doing this year, uh, it's like a scary jump that he's made. And I think it's the reason that UConn was a top two team in the country coming out of the non-conference and, you know, why they looked like they were about to lap the Big East in Big East play. And then you watch, like, UConn's games and how psychotically devoted teams are to – like tracking him and chasing him and throwing as much as they can at him to get him off kilter because they kind of feel like they can, they can live with the rest and guard the rest. Uh, I, it, I don't think it, it, it didn't, it doesn't seem close to me, which is funny the way everybody else is kind of mapping out their arguments here, which is, I think this is why one of them, this is one of the more interesting awards is most improved player because I think it's Jordan Hawkins and I don't feel like it's close. Um, but I think everyone else feels as strongly as their picks is too. But I mean, you look at his three point percentage. Um, I think he's second in the league in scoring in conference play. His three point percentage is about 38% on double the attempts from last year when he was 33%. So that's not only a substantial increase in his proficiency, but it's also a substantial increase in his confidence level um, and his ability to just get him up there and, and feel good about what he's doing. So to me, I feel like he's the best player on one of the most dangerous teams in the, in the league. 
And it kind of started from the jump. And I think it's a credit to a lot of the work that he's put in in the offseason because he's almost night and day different than the player he was last year, in my opinion. And, and why he's one of the top NBA prospects in this conference is because of what he's done this year to improve his efficiency and his volume um, and leave one of the most dangerous teams from a metric standpoint in the country. Um, so he's – that's I, I went with Jordan Hawkins from UConn as my MIP. Um, Skur, you got enough, uh, got enough data incorporated <laughs> there to uh, make a pick? See, I'm glad you said it because I was – I wanted to say Jordan Hawkins, but I didn't know if that was ridiculous or not. Um, just because I guess – I think when I'm, like, trying to think of, like, overall in- impact <sighs> – like I wanted to say, I wanted to say Hawkins, man, but I'm gonna have to go with Iguodaro now. Like I, I think just, and this is why I wanted time to think about how to actually say this. It's just I think that Jordan Hawkins, I've always been a fan of his game. Like even last year, I always, I was like, he's going to be good. I can see it. Uh, I like he. I think this year he was supposed to take more. I think he took a leap. Like and don't get me wrong. Like I think you highlighted all the reasons he is. Uh, uh, constant for that UConn team in terms of like, especially I saw the way he shot the ball when I was at the game, you know, at Gamble, the way he just runs their offense, kind of like you're always wondering where he is at on the floor on the offense. But I think that's exactly why I got to give it to Igadaro that it's just not, not just offensively. I think it's, he impacts the game in just some more ways um, in terms of just being a defender, being a rebounder, all of that. So yeah, I'm going to go Igadaro, but yeah, Jordan Hawkins, I guess I just, I just personally think there would have been more of a leap, I think, with Hawkins with the consistency of his shooting. And I took it, I think it took him a while to kind of come into his own. I think he's now at that point, but I think if he would have played more like he's playing here at the end of the season earlier on, uh, I would have kind of gone that way. But, yeah, I guess I'm not upset about both those there. Yeah. Well, respect to you for going against your namesake, so props there. <laughs> um, yeah, that one was interesting. So I guess Iguodaro wins the – wins the vote two one one. So um uh yeah the next one I wanted to do is like kind of all impact team. I didn't want to go like all you know I just feel like pick five guys and you know you can mesh them if you want to like make an actual lineup out of it or or not. But um I think I ended up actually doing it um that way it worked out accidentally. But just the five guys in this league that you feel like every team would take no questions asked hands down tomorrow. Um, the, these guys are the ones that have the most impact on on winning and losing when they're not available in the league this season. And, uh, Ben, you can start with your five. Yeah, I'll go with Tyler Kolick, obviously. Already outlined his case, so don't need to belabor that point. Sule Boom, just go along with all, what all you guys said. Just He's money in, in clutch time, too. He's hit some big shots this year. Jordan Hawkins, I love the way he just, like, flies off a screen, shooting balls off movement. Um, I, he's the type of player I love, those Ray Allen type of guys. Uh, Cole Brenner, uh, don't need to add much that we haven't said before. I'm going to go with the wild card. I'm going to throw in uh, Primo Spears from Georgetown. Wow. Is- <laughs> Come on now. Hey man, somebody's wow. got to score. Somebody's got to score points on on bad teams. So, but I, I you know, I, I really liked his game. Man. I love his pull up game. Uh, okay. I just uh, so I, I just want to throw a wild card at you. So I, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna throw that in that I'm just gonna drop the mic and walk away. <laughs> Matter. I, I did not think we were gonna mention a Georgetown player today. Respect. Jeez, that's why um, I'm here, man. That's why. That's why he gave me the link to the Zoom. <laughs> Joel, who you got? Who's your five? Who's your five top five yeah. impact in this league? You know, my my vision 
of Primo Spears is probably tainted because every time he plays against Creighton, it's like Jesus Christ. I mean, they just got forty piece the other in a bad way. You think not like the second coming in a bad way? Yeah. Um. So I think ours is pretty much the same. Obviously, I didn't have Primo Spears. Um. So (laughs) talk winner. Colic Hawkins and I, I like what you you know now that I think about most approved I I probably would lobby for for Hawkins most approved because he is he did go from you know last season to becoming a, a first round pick I mean that's a pretty big jump um uh, yeah Cogburner Colic Hawkins Bryce Hopkins of course because like like Curry mentioned that is Providence's team right there and then Sule Boom I think these are all guys that I mean to be honest you could plug them anywhere maybe all but you know, Kalkburner and Kolek, because it's not really their game. But these guys are all first options anywhere you probably put them. Um, I didn't even say that for for Hawkins with Creighton. If if, if Hawkins – if Creighton had a player like Hawkins, I mean, good grief, dude. Um, that, that would be trouble. With his movement shooting and just the way they play, um, it would be nuts. Um, so, I think – I mean, I went with a kind of vanilla answer, whatever, but um, they, they, those are all, like, first options, best players, whatever, so – I'm gonna clip that for Trey that you said that. Um, huh? Skr- <laughs> Skr- where are you at? Game, so don't even trip, bro. Hey, I'm just saying uh, the clip said what the clip said. Yeah, uh, yeah. Skr- where are you at? Who's your top five impact players in this league? So I have it. I have it. I took this. I, I took an interesting take on what you meant by impact here, and kind of made it more so. That's too. why I said impact. So yeah, yeah. I was thinking impact, and I was trying to stay away from guys who like won the big awards that we've already talked about because I want to talk about some of the guys who maybe like flew under the radar, I guess, so to speak. So with mine, I'm definitely going like, and I thought about guys who I want to play with if I could pick my like hand pick like five from Big East right now, just go hoop with. I would really like. Like, I definitely think Tyler Kolek, you know, impact at the point guard will go there. Then I'm going to go Trey Alexander. I think that's – you just brought it up. But I think – I'm, I'm going to throw him at the two-man because I just think his impact and what he's been able to do and show shooting the ball this year. And I know I keep hashing on this, but, like, that calming factor, like, in a game, I don't think people realize how impactful that even is. And I see, like, Trey's a very even-keeled kind of dude. And so just to see, like, him in games like this year – shoot it at the clip he has, play the way he has, and be that force. Got to throw him in there in terms of the impact he's been able to have. Had to throw Bryce in there, definitely, because, like, you know, just he is the team and he knows how to take over games, so would obviously be somebody fun to play with just because dominant. And then the way I actually got my last two, I just think impact consistency got bigs I've watched consistent. Obviously, I'm throwing Cal Brenner in there, most consistent big, like, went healthy, obviously, but Here's my here's my let me let me throw a curveball in there. Jack Nunji, man. Like mm-hmm. I watch him play. When I watch him play, I think of how fun he might be to play with. Because just what he's able to do around the rim, how he's able to hold it down. And he's another one of those guys who I don't feel like he does anything outside of the norm of what he does. He never tries to do anything extra. So I think his impact for just Xavier and what could be like an all big East team like I'm putting together here to go play pickup in the park with. Mm-hmm. Impacts there. Yeah, that's that's not bad. I think uh, I, it's interesting because one guy didn't get mentioned that's online that no one else that had. So I'm, I'm kind of curious uh, what you all think. But I obviously went Tyler Kolick, uh, Jordan Hawkins, Bryce Hopkins, and Ryan Kalkbender for all the reasons we've stated um, up to this point. The one guy that hasn't gotten any love yet from any of us and the one guy that I think has 
a clear elite level impact on how things shake out in this league this year and how things did shake out was Kobe Jones of Xavier. Like I feel like a strong, strong argument for the best two-way player in this league. Um, you look at the fact that he can fill it up, he can score at different levels, he can shoot the three, he can score at the rim, he's got a mid-range game. Um, you know, he's a pretty good free throw shooter, and he is the guy for Xavier, a team that doesn't have a uh, a, a, a rock solid defensive identity. They kind of lived off their offense this year, and that's how they made their, you know, made their hay. Um, they've made some market improvements in their defense this as the season's gone down the stretch here, and I think his versatility and ability to lock up, uh, you know, wings and and guard up uh, above his position, above his weight, um, has had a big impact on I think Xavier, kind of sustaining themselves and not falling off a cliff without Fremantle. Um, and I think he's a dude that isn't in the DPOY conversation enough this year, probably even, um, you know, it felt like it was Carter and Kalkbrenner and, and Jones wasn't really in the mix for some reason, but I feel like Kobe Jones's impact is, is felt on both ends of the floor. And I think he's, he's probably the guy, if you told me to pick one player as the best two-way player in the league, I would probably pick him, um, based on just his, his entire season. And he's the guy that I think bucks the trend of the players we've selected so far for all impact. So mine are Kolek, Hawkins, Jones, Hopkins, and Kalkbrenner. And that's how I round that out. Um, next, I wanted to, to get into more of the postseason stuff here. Um, so first of all, the Big East tournament. So right now, as it shakes out, uh, let's get the bracket up here. St. John's and Butler are the 8-9 game on Wednesday, then Seton Hall and DePaul, and then Villanova and Georgetown. And then Marquette's the one seed, obviously, uh, outright champ. Xavier clinched the two. Uh, Creighton is the three, and UConn is the four. Providence is the five. Um, so I guess the question here that I don't want to break down the whole tournament because that we could just do that forever, but, mm-hmm. but give me your picks for – the championship game matchup, uh, your predicted winner out of that out of that game, and also give me a dark horse pick that's not in that game, but that you think could make a run if they get hot because they have the kind of the elements, the pieces, the experience to put together a three or four day stretch at MSG that makes them the champion at the end of the day. So I'll start with uh Scurry, you can go first. Who's your championship game pick, your winner, and your dark horse? Well, I gotta actually check championship game. Uh, who I got it going against now? Because I have my winner. Do you want me to start with that? Sure. I'm gonna go with my winner. I got I got Xavier. I know it sounds crazy, might sound crazy, but I just think they're rolling at the right time. And I think when I think back to even the year we were poised to go in and win the. Big East tournament, in my opinion, if COVID didn't happen, it was because we had some good road wins at the end of the season that gave us confidence going in. I think Xavier has that uh, coming out of Providence, um, the Providence wins specifically. Um, so I think they're the team that could do it. I think the, I know this might sound weird, but I guess my dark horse of the team that can get hot and win it is Creighton. Um, I think they're the team that I'd be looking to to see if they can, you know, shoot the way that obviously we think they can get high Madison Square Garden. They have the pieces. Obviously, we're talking about the defense, Brian Kalkbrenner there. So I think they could make a run. Obviously, I want them to make the run. I'm going to be screaming for it. But if you, if I was a betting man, I would be uh, putting on money on Xavier. Joel, where are you at? Yeah. Um, 
Man, champ is tough. Um, <clears throat> I am looking at this other side of the bracket. I, I'm, I mean, this is so ordinary. I think I am split between Marquette and Xavier. Um, I do think those are two of the the better teams right now in the league. Obviously, one and two seed would say that, but um, just the way they've trended as of late, um, kind of what Scurry said, and you know, Marquette. I just can't imagine. Uh, it, it takes a lot, and I know. That, that MSG crowd, a lot of the East Coast teams are going to have their whole fan base in there, so it probably doesn't benefit Marquette. But I just – it's really hard for me to see Marquette going anywhere and just just losing it outright, like, on on some, like, schematic deal. Like, it, it feels like it's very tough to beat them, um, no matter where you're at. And then um, Dark Horse, I'd say – I mean, I don't even know if they're a Dark Horse anymore because they're, they've been the talk – uh, for yeah. some time now, but Villanova is probably who I'd say just the way they're beating teams as of late, uh, the way they're trending right now, um, uh, with more back in the fold. I mean, this is a team that it, it's obviously not super sexy and uh, they don't get it done like Marquette, but um, mm-hmm. the way it happens is just it pisses people off, it pisses teams off, it's, it's annoying to play them. Um, uh, and so they're they're the dark horse. It, it, it's funny, Scurry said Creighton because that's what they feel that's who feels like the dark horse now, right? Because of the way that the season unfolded. But um, Villanova is probably my pick. Yeah, that's fair. Ben, where are you at? I got UConn versus Xavier in the final. Mm-hmm. And I got UConn winning that. I don't know if that doubles as a as a dark horse. If you're the number four seed, that 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 might be dark horse territory. Um, but I think I got UConn beating Marquette in the semis just because that's – it's a it's a tough matchup for Marquette just with the size of 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 Connecticut with Sonogo and Klingon. That's Marquette's biggest weakness is giving up second chance points, offensive rebounds. That's how the only blowout loss of Marquette's season was at UConn, and that's what, exactly what happened. They got yeah. over twenty. I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it was 24, 26 second chance points, and then they were also bombing in threes with Hawkins that game, and it just steamrolled on on Marquette in that one. So it's a, it's a bad matchup for Marquette. Um, and they're going to have a, a shitload of a UConn fans training down to to MSG for that game. So it's going to be like a home game, like it's Hartford there for for, for Connecticut. So I think it's going to be tough for Marquette to, to win that one. Um, I, I can also see Nova. There's a, there's a good argument for them too as a, as a dark horse. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be kind of boring with the dark horse pick as well because I feel like it's Nova. And and even though it's obvious, there's nothing to be said for their ability to kind of go through this tournament because they the thing that about them is they're they're the sixth seed, but they have experience, you know. They have guys who have been to final fours before. So I think that makes them an easy dark horse pick because you know, I, I know we you want to try to like differentiate different differentiate some things, but it's just it's Nova. Like that's the easy pick because they are the sixth seed. They have to play in the play in round. But then you look at the fact that they have, you know, Final Four experience on their roster. Um, that's that's. I mean, we're not to be silly about this. That's that's the dark horse pick. Like, you know, it, as much as we want to be like, you know, outside the box, that just is who they are. You know, they're going to be a dangerous out. Um, they're used to winning this tournament. They're used to winning tournaments in general. Um, they know the they know the formula. So Jay Wright or not, Colin Gillespie or not, they've got enough pieces there. Talent wise, experience wise, uh, to get it done. So that that's that's my pick for Dark Horse as well. My championship game pick is actually Creighton versus UConn. I want to start with the top of the bracket uh, first. The reason I 
don't see Marquette making the finals. And I feel really bad about this because I do love just their team in general. And I and I actually think they're a really hard team. They're an even as as hard as they are to guard in general. They're going to be a really hard team to prepare for in a tournament setting because uh, that pace that they play with, that's kind of spearheaded by Kolick and and accentuated by Oso's ability to play away from the basket and make passes to play, to to his teammates from the five spot um, is hard to simulate. But I feel like in this tournament, it's 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 dumbed down a little bit because teams are used to it that they're going to play this 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 upcoming weekend weekend. Um, and I think UConn, like Ben hit is the matchup nightmare for basically everyone in this conference uh, from a depth standpoint, from a length standpoint, they have positional length up and down every position. Um, and they have guys who, you know, can score off the bounce, can, can catch and shoot, can score with their back to the basket. They can, they can play in the pick and roll game and get downhill. They're just a really dangerous, dangerous team um, because they can beat you. They probably have the most ways to beat you of any team in this conference. And that makes them really dangerous in a tournament setting where prep is short. And you kind of have to just go off your your instincts and your talent on most days, especially as you get further into the tournament. So I like them as the winner of this tournament over Creighton. The reason I have Creighton making it to the finals again is because I don't I don't know what the Fremantle element's gonna look like for Xavier. And without that, I don't see how they can get enough stops against the way Creighton matches up with them to beat them in that two three game. So if Creighton does knock out the dark horse in Villanova, who is likely to get past Georgetown, I think they they might even have an easier time with Xavier, who's trying to reincorporate maybe a rusty, still banged up Fremantle. Um, the one thing I think they're going to run into for Creighton's standpoint in the finals is UConn's depth, I think, will make a huge difference on day three, as opposed to what Creighton's dealing with right now. I just think the it's going to be a physical game. It's going to be a rock fight like it was last year, and I think that kind of favors UConn on day three more than it does Creighton, but that's kind of how I see it it's shaking out. Uh, the last topic I wanted to touch on here before we wrap up um, is the way tournament. I feel like this is pretty easy for us. The only thing that's left to kind of debate, in my opinion, which is a recent topic, is how do we feel about Providence? Because I think, I think all of us would agree that UConn, Marquette, Creighton, Xavier are all single-digit seeds. Stone Cold lead pipe locks. There's nothing that can happen to the rest of their season. Even if they lose two starters and get 50 pieces in the garden, it's still only a one-game sample. Um, they won't be held out of the tournament in any circumstances. So I think we're all confident that those four teams are single-digit Stone Cold lead pipe locks for the tourney. The only question is now auto bid uh, because I feel like that's Nova's only chance now after they lost at home to UConn. They're not going to have enough meat on the bone, even if they get to the finals, to make it. Um, and then Seton Hall has, to, and everybody else from Seton Hall down has to win out too. Uh, so Providence is the question I have for everybody. How 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 bubblicious is this squad right now, based on their current trends, based on their non-con, which isn't great. You know, they didn't schedule tough, and they didn't really beat anybody. They didn't really. I don't know if they beat a tournament team that's in their non-con at all, even when you look at it. So how worried are we about Providence's potential if they get they go into Thursday night in the 3-6 game at, at 9.30 in New York and, and get rolled out of the gym by UConn. How worried are we about Providence making the tournament versus going to the NIT? Um, I don't know who we started with last time. Joel, I think you should start this time. It's your turn. Sure. Yeah, I mean, assuming they get about an 8, like in an 8-9 seed range, um, 
I mean, that's one of the obviously tougher games. Um, I th- I think it's a toss up for them even making it past the first round, man. Like, depending on who they get matched up with. Um, obviously their defense has slipped as of late. Um, and if there's a team that could really neutralize Hopkins, I think it's gonna be tough for them to get out that first round, man. I mean, simple as it is, and there's some really good teams in that eight nine range. I mean, my alma mater, Mizzou, um, is in that eight nine range, I think, and they're a damn good team that could that could I think beat the breaks off Providence if I'm being real. Um, and if they run into that type of matchup versus I don't know, like a Boise State, I mean Boise State sure could maybe make some noise, but um, there are matchups there where they can get knocked off. So I think at best they're probably a second round team, but it's gonna be tough for them to get out that that first day. Uh, Jordan, where are you at? How do you feel about yeah. the Friars? I mean, I don't feel, I've never felt great about the Friars ever in my yeah. entire existence <laughs> of life. So no, that's, that's, that's fair. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if we're being in general, but no, I think specific to this team, I don't feel great. And I think we kind of hashed on it a lot. Like Bryce Hopkins is that team. Like we, that's been the narrative, right. Of this past podcast. So I think it's really just, it's going to be a matchup. Like if, if they have a team that if they face a team like a Mizzou that could neutralize Bryce and like, you know, take away his, I'm going to get 28 and 23 on you. Like in like just even that type of play, if they match up against that kind of team, I don't see it going well for them. So I, and even, I don't know, man, I just don't see, I don't see them getting a good matchup at all. Even I think in the tournament into a point where it's a team that I can confidently say, okay, they'll win that game. Uh, So yeah, I think it's going to be tough. They, and I, I really don't think they're going to be UConn either. So it would, the only way I think they could give me confidence in the NCAA tournament is if they were to win that UConn game, uh, and I guess even just get to another game yeah. in the Big East tournament, because uh, that would, I think, solidify them to a good spot. But I don't see them getting past UConn, so I don't see them getting past the first round of the NCAA tournament. Yeah, Ben, where where, where are you at on the Friars? Like, how, how much of this, like, how much of their struggles right now and, and, and the the analysis of it, like, in, in terms of where they stack up about their resume – is recency bias versus how much of it actually has some credibility based on their body of work overall and how they're trending at, at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a combination of both. I mean, you just look at their three of their worst defensive performances. Like, I'm just looking through their schedule of have come in the last four games. So if that's recency bias, but there's nothing earlier in the season that balances that out, that that gives you confidence in them. So I'm like everybody else, man. If they maybe get a right matchup where, you know, the physicality of Croswell and and Bryce Hopkins can overwhelm some, you know, skinny front court that they get matched up with, then I have a little bit more confidence in them. But just in general, just looking at the defensive numbers is how far they've slipped. It's just – it's hard to have any confidence in them whatsoever. Yeah, it's it's – Man, I don't want to say they're like they're not on the outside looking in because there's too much to be settled still uh, with with bid sealers and bubble teams mm-hmm. base planning as well. But I don't think they're in a good spot right now. I, I think the trend, the recent trend, is definitely as much as like the committee says not nah, the whole body of work. The recent trend doesn't help Providence's body of work in the first place because they're. Right. Because their early part of the season that kind of gets that people try to say, well, this counts too. That's not great in the first place. But what 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 helps Providence is the middle, where they beat UConn uh, to start Big East play. They beat Marquette to start Big East play. They got the over double overtime win over over Creighton. They they uh, you know those are their three marquee wins. Those are their three 
and sit tournament wins, essentially. That, that's what their resume is built on. And pair it with the idea that they did beat UConn, but they also got absolutely whipped by them in the rematch. So it was like mm. two different type of games, you know, where one was not like the other. And then you look at the games that they won over Marquette and Creighton. A, it was in their own building. Right. B, both were double overtime games. So it's not like it's not like from a from an eye test or a metric standpoint, there's something like, wow, Providence looked amazing that night, and they absolutely just control start to finish against this really, really good team, you know. Um, there's not a lot of meat on the bone there. And then you look at the fact that again, re re recircling back to this, they've been the worst defense in the big east in February. Worse than Georgetown, worse than DePaul, worse than St. John's. Um, and it's not close. And then you look at the fact that they have to play UConn on Thursday night in the the marquee game of Thursday, right? That's the game that is always the most lit. Uh, the crowd's always the craziest. If they get whipped in that one after getting whipped by Seton Hall, a Seton Hall team that was uh, wildly shorthanded in their own building, I think that Providence is doing a disservice to themselves by giving the committee enough reasons to leave them out over – shoot – like, just take a North Carolina who has the preseason hype. They came off last year. Uh, they've got the the brand. If North Carolina knocks off a team or two in the ACC, um, I wouldn't be shocked if the committee goes, yep, North Carolina over Providence for sure, based on how everything's going and what Providence has done versus what North Carolina has done. Like, I've seen crazier stuff in my in, in, in watching how this tournament gets selected. Um, so I think it would – it would behoove Providence to at least show out well against UConn and not get rolled over um, from start to finish the way they did the other day because uh, there's not a lot of meat on the bone in the first place, and you got to try to do yourself as many favors as possible to take away as many reasons as the com- as you can for the committee to leave you out. And that's kind of where I'm at on Providence. I don't think they're they're locked in. I think they're actually in a pretty shaky position right now. You you have seen you have seen nastier stuff than UNC. Getting picked over probably 100 percent Yes, this is still very that would still be a very, very nice scenario. I mean, I think UNC has what one quad one win, and I don't even know if it stuck. Um, they're it's this yeah, it was a, like, yeah, it was like Ohio State yeah, all time bad yeah. UNC team. Like, let's let's not do that. Like, Providence at least got some wins here and there. Like, they're not great right now, but hey, hey, who on up? Yeah, no, I hear you. I'm just hey, I'm trying to think from the perspective of someone who's gonna rip somebody off and, and make someone mad on Selection Sunday. I've seen it before. Yeah. So that's, that's my only I, justification for it. And I will say, like, okay, I'm looking at Lunardi's projections, and I know Lunardi ain't ain't, ain't the world, right? And, I mean, none of these bracketologists probably are. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm seeing, like, teams in the 8-9 range, like Illinois, Arkansas, Maryland. Like, come on, bro. Like, they're, they're, they're not, if these are the teams they're up against, like, how many of these teams do we really see them beating, dog? Like, these are some teams that could beat anybody. Yeah. Nice. Nah. Yeah, I'm with, I, I hear you. No, I, I could definitely make the argument for them, but I'm saying I, I can also understand the logic against as well. Um, all right, everyone. Well, thanks for taking time out of your Sunday afternoon to, you know, just lay out the Big E season as we saw it. And, uh, yeah. and kept it under time. two and a half hours. We did. We kept this one. The Marquette guys aren't the ones who do it. It's my fault. So. <laughs> We've established that right now. The common denominator in two and a half hours versus this one is this. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Thanks, Ben Steele, uh, Joel Lorenzi, and obviously my co-host Jordan Scurry for taking time out of Sunday afternoon to give you guys um, a little fun podcast, a little fun conversation on the Big East. Um, 
Hope everybody has a really great week as we get primed up for the Big East tournament. It should be a really fun one. Because I do think there's a lot of teams that can get hot in this one and win it, and it wouldn't shock any of us. Um, and then we all expect it to kind of be at, at you know, four-bid league at least and probably a five-bid league in the NCAA tournament. So that's going to be exciting too. So um, everybody, March Madness is here. Hope you're all ready for it. Uh, thanks for tuning in to the Scurry and the Scrub podcast. Uh, I'll talk to you soon.